Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Podcast talking all things Disney with your hosts L. John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, mateys. It's a show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm L. John Go. Longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culture fan, you can email me, aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and traveling man, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, what a week. Oh, it's been, yeah. I've been all over the map, I have to tell you. Okay, so World Traveler Dave, uh, you've been you've been running around town. I have been. You know, Nancy and I went out to uh, Mandalay Beach, which is out in Oxnard, California, which is just to the south of Ventura, right on the coast. You know, the beach is there and uh, waves were crashing and it was uh, it was beautiful most of the time. And we have one one afternoon where the winds were blowing, you know, and when you're down at the beach, it's like that sand coming off of the uh, dunes. It's enough to sandblast your car. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one peril. There's the, you know, uh, when you're bringing, uh, cars or guitars, in my case, sometimes I'll bring them down to the beach when we're, you know, playing, you know, uh, touring and stuff. And it just is not good for the guitars. Definitely not good for cars. No, no, not at all. But you know what? We've got a great show. We've got part three of our, uh, interview with, uh, legendary Disney animator, Ron husband. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And, and I also want to, I want to give a shout out to Ron because he's being honored, um, at the end of the month. Uh, and I, I'm just going to read this to you. He sent this to me. Okay. He received this from, uh, assemblyman, Chris Holden. And it says, dear Mr. Husband, it was my pleasure on behalf of Assemblyman Chris Holden to notify you this afternoon of your selection as his unsung hero of 2023. Each year, members of the California Legislative Black Caucus select a constituent whose accomplishments are a substantive yet unrecognized contribution to society. Assemblyman Holden learned of your long and successful career at Walt Disney Studios as the first African-American animator. He is impressed by your accomplishments and wants to honor you 
an example of black excellence. For the first time since the pandemic, the recognition will be in a floor ceremony at the state capitol Monday, February 27th. Assemblyman Holder's scheduler, and it goes on to say, will be in contact with you shortly to make travel arrangements. In the, in the interim, please send me a short bio and photo. It goes on a little bit you know, about just getting the stuff they need. But here we go. Ron Husband is being honored uh, on the floor of the state assembly in yeah. Sacramento, California. I had to play the applause button because yeah, that is that's pretty awesome. impressive. That's awesome. You know? It's super, super impressive. And you know something? Congratulations to Ron Husband. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe it was because we uh, were interviewing him and uh, somebody got wind of it. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely possible. You know, people watch the Twitter machine. They watch what's going on on Facebook and the show. So, you know, regardless of whether we played a part in it or not, I think it's just amazing that he's getting recognized in this way. What a What a great honor and... What a great honor it is to have Ron be on the show for an unprecedented, you know, three weeks in a row. That's awesome. Well, you know something? I mean, it's Black History Month. February is Black History Month. Yes. And uh, and so here we have Ron Husband, first black animator at Walt Disney Animation Studios yes. uh, as our guest for three weeks in a row. And he's also being honored on the state on the floor of the state capitol. Uh, I mean, you know, what more can you ask for? It's like it's it's Ron Husband Month. Absolutely. Well, it really is. Couldn't have happened to a better guy, too, and so yeah. talented. So congratulations, Ron, on this honor, and it's wonderful to have you back on the show. So amazing stuff. A, uh, by the way, uh, you can send us your email if you'd like. We'd love to hear from you, Aljon or Dave at uh, com, and you can give us those five-star reviews on any podcast platform, and we'll read your comments here live on the show. I say live, but it's all going to be on the show recorded for your listening pleasure on an upcoming episode of Skull Rock Podcast. So pretend we're live. Pretend we're live. Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Are you jumping the gun? Oh, am I jumping the gun? You're jumping the gun. We haven't even talked about uh, what we're we're streaming. Did I accidentally delete that? Oh no, there it is. <laughs> Are we gonna leave that in? I guess we'll just leave it in. I'm jumping yeah, the gun. That's oh, yeah. okay. Here we go. Here we go. It's what's streaming this week. I know, Dave. You have always have stuff to you've been watching this week to review. So, uh, well, you know, the- even in my travels um, and being out of the house for three or four days, uh, we still managed to watch a few things. And I got to tell you, I I did watch Strange World uh, on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Yes, and as we all know, that was a uh, an animated release back Thanksgiving week that did an absolute face plant. Yes. I think it opened to like $18 million. It was terrible. Uh, I watched it and I have to tell you um, a shout out to uh, a lot of people I know that worked on that movie mm-hmm. because it's absolutely beautiful. Yes. I mean, technically it's just beautifully executed. Yes. But the movie has no heart. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, you know, it, 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 it it's an example of, filmmaking by committee is the only thing I can think of. 
um it 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 felt um uh, it felt a bit derivative to me uh it also felt um cliche yeah uh, in parts um i think they were falling over themselves to try and be politically correct and have you know uh representation across a wide uh spectrum uh and uh and in the interim uh the film has no heart to it you don't care about these characters yeah. and, and and you you know and, and i feel bad about that because i think don hall is a good filmmaker you know but i also can can you know by watching the film i can sit there and say you know he's being forced to put this in and that in and there's a lot of people weighing in on these movies and and i don't think that's the way you make animated films you can't make these films by committee yep yep so that's my that's my assessment of it you know yeah. it, it, and and the other thing too i have to tell you that i thought was really bizarre they're referring to the world as uh, Pano, mm-hmm. right? The the world that these characters are living in. Yep. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that's just too close to uh, um, Avatar. Yeah. You know, yep. Pandora. Yep. You know, Pano. What are you going to do? Put a Pano world in next to Pandora <laughs> at Animal Kingdom? I don't know. I mean, talk about confusing the audience. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I I I'm I'm like you. I I I saw Strange World when it when it came out, and I think it it you definitely knew what it was trying to do, being a multi generational film, and how you know the father son grandfather relationship you know has has uh, is kind of evolved, and and how how things play out. You know, you're not your father's. You you you're you're not. I guess projecting yourself, right? You're 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 you have to be able to live your own life and and follow the beat of your own drum. And I get that, but I don't for whatever reason it just it just missed the mark. I think it's just because it just took too many detours and didn't really focus. It, it just lost its focus. Oh, I agree with you on that. Uh, you know, and I you know again, I just I didn't see much in the way of what could you do with this movie in the Disney universe? You know, I mean, like I said, are you going to create a pano world? I mean, not that they're going to do anything because it, it, it performs so terribly at the box office, you know, but you know, what, what kind of plushes are they making? Are they making any plushes? You know, I I mean, it's sort of like, you know, they, they weren't, the the character designs the humanoid characters uh it, it just i don't know it just didn't do much for me yeah it's a shame it's a shame it is i don't even you know, know. It, I, it really is a shame because they spent 200 million dollars on this movie plus another 50 in marketing yeah you know and yeah. it, and it's kind of a shame because you know as i said at the outset it's a beautiful looking movie i mean it's technically really well done you know and kudos to all the people that put a lot of hard work into it Anyway, so I I did watch that. Um, I also finished watching Condor on Amazon Prime. Uh, that was a you know it was a two season uh, show. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I liked it. I like those spy thrillers, you know, uh, you know, double agents and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, uh, I continued to watch Mayor of Kingstown on Paramount Plus. Another episode dropped. Uh, you know, it's a it's a dark and gritty show. 
Um, and then I watched something a little differently. Uh, I watched Antiques Roadshow Detective uh, on, on BBC America. Okay. And if you like the Antiques Roadshow, which, you know, I, I can always sit down and watch, you know, a bunch of those episodes in a row. It's always fascinating. I love history. I love seeing, you know, what people bring and the treasures and discoveries that, the, that uh, you know, they find. And uh, Antiques Roadshow Detective takes it a step further because they take selected uh, individuals and things that they brought to an antiques road show, normal road show. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they dive into it for an entire episode and they trace the history of it. And, you know, if there's an authentication question, I mean, there was a wonderful thing about, uh, a, a funeral flag from, uh, Cromwell Cromwell's funeral in England. You know, which was, you know, three, four hundred years ago. Right. Yes. Uh, and whether this person who had this this um, uh, funeral flag, uh, whether it was authentic or not. Uh, and, you know, they went they they really delved into it and they were at the London Museum and they were the museum pulled out other flags they had. And, you know, it was really fascinating. A lot of back history. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So yeah. I would. Absolutely recommend Antiques Roadshow Detective on BBC America. Right on. Well, Dave. What do you, yeah, what have you been watching? So I, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. You know, I'm a big fan of, of cop and crime procedural dramas. And mm -hmm. FBI's Most Wanted uh, is a show I, my wife and I have been watching for a long time. And um, it's, it's getting real good. Uh, I'm just a fan, so I think that if you if you like uh, right now Dylan McDermott, I don't he <laughs> my wife and I is like he just plays a jerk in everything you see, and I said yeah I think he's typecasted, but I mean he's super likable and super charming, but yet he is such a hothead, so much different than the lead from uh, prior seasons, uh, Jillian, Jillian McMahon, who was more even keel. <clears throat> Uh, they had kind of a swap out of a lead character, and typically that is a death knell for a lot of shows. Once you once you move the lead character and he moves on or she moves on, the other one comes in and it's like, uh, I think the show jumped the shark. I don't think the show has jumped the shark at all. I think uh, Dylan McDermott and, and the rest of the ensemble cast is very good. So if you're a fan of that, uh, it's also produced, and, and I think uh, produced by the same people, uh, Wolf Dick Wolf, who does uh -huh. uh, who does all the uh, Law and Order shows, and it's on. Uh, so FBI's Most Wanted is on Paramount Plus and CBS. So please check it out. Uh, we also saw the new season of You, and uh, if you don't know, it's about a dangerously charming, intensely obsessive, obsessing young man who goes to extreme measures to insert himself in the lives of those he's transfixed by. So he's kind of stalkerish. Okay. Uh, and this this year he he's in England. So he moves away from the United States. He was kind of uh, doing the whole New York, L.A. thing. And then he uh, is now in England. And once again, he's transfixed on somebody. But this time he's been pulled into this murder mystery of all these rich people. It's kind of like the the young rich lives of, of these kind of, 
I don't know. They're just they're just rich and wealthy young people, and now it's he's kind of sucked into this who done it, and because uh, he's cleaning up after some messes because he I think he's got some mental disorder, <laughs> you know. It's mm-hmm. kind of you know it's just a really interesting story. So if you're down with that, you've been on for a while on Netflix. It's one of their top rated shows, so you can check that out. And uh, so here's the thing. I've been waiting for months and months for the third and final season of Picard on Paramount Plus. This is the ongoing saga of Captain Picard, Jean-Luc Picard, played by Sir Patrick Stewart. Uh, this is the end of the, the Star Trek line, if you will, for for him. And they're bringing back the cast of The Next Generation. So you're going to see um, uh, all all the cast members there, from LeVar Burton to Michael Dorn to uh, Marina Sirtis. So they're all coming back. Gates McFadden, the Doctor, so it's just a really nice heartwarming so far it's been heartwarming it's been nice to see that nostalgia play out and to see if Terry Metalis the showrunner for the, for this show the producer of the show can bring in lapsed Star Trek fans because I'll be honest I'm a huge Trekkie Dave been one forever my dad used to take me to Star Trek conventions when I was just a you know like 12 years old and I think it was one of the coolest things my dad and I ever did to uh, with each other. We got to meet Star Trek stars and get autographs and sit at the conventions. And it was just something that he and I shared for, for years. And I've kind of fallen out of love with Star Trek um, over the past few years. But this, this got all the feels, Dave. So, Good. yeah, I mean, Terry Metalis is doing a great job as a storyteller for this. He knows and understands uh, what the star, what Star Trek is all about. I feel just from this one episode. So I'm hooked. Um, it's what I wanted Picard to be. And there, let me just say this too. There's nothing wrong with giving the people what they want. That's right. Hey, let me ask you this question on Star Trek. Yeah. Did you, did you like Star Trek, strange new worlds? I liked it. It's not bad. It's it's good. Okay. It's very good. I, I I watched that whole first season. I yeah. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, and I I love the fact that they were weaving in uh, bits of story history. Yes, that go back to the original 1960 show, and they should. Yeah, and it's great, and uh, the lead is very good. <clears throat> I mean, I I I am impressed by Strange New. I was Strange New Worlds. Yes, uh, so that is a very good show. Um, Discovery had its ups and downs, but it's really different. I felt like even with, you know, Strange New Worlds and Star Trek, I felt that it wasn't must watch. It was kind of one of those things where I'll get around to watching it and you get around to watching it, but it didn't really set the world on fire. I'm like, yeah, this is good. It's yeah. much better. Um, I feel that way about Lower Decks, the animated show, which is kind of from the minds of uh, um, uh, Rick and Morty think some of the people behind that now that animated show is great it's so fun and funny it's irreverent um it's got some juvenile humor to it but it's so deep in fan um fan service it's very good i'm I'm one of those people where i feel like if done right and this animated show is done right um it's perfect Hmm. and then you know i I, I like i like juvenile humor yeah i mean there is a time and place for it there's a time and place for it i feel like maybe Maybe lean less in Thor Ragnarok with juvenile humor, but you know, hey, um, or not Thor Ragnarok, but you know, Thor Love and Thunder. I thought you know maybe tune it down just a little bit, but um, 
but yeah, it, it's, this is a shining a light for me and I'm hoping I get all the feels because I really love the next generation cast and being a huge Star Trek fan, I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. And let me tell you, the ship design and special effects are so top-notch. It's like, give me a ship that looks like it belongs in the world of Star Trek. And they totally did it. And I, I love it. Uh, a lot of a lot of really great callbacks to the films, to James T. Kirk and the original Star Trek, and to Next Generation, and to Deep Space Nine, and all the other spinoff series. So uh, a great love letter so far. They have me hooked, Dave. Awesome. All right. Sounds great. I love it. Now let's let, let us know what you're watching. And uh, we would definitely love to hear that feedback from you. Maybe you're a Star Trek fan and maybe this gives you hope. So uh, please email us and let us know. Skull Rock Podcast. Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. All there right. we go. Now, now, now we're doing the now news. Now we're doing the news. <laughs> I guess I will leave that in because it's kind of funny. Uh, I just totally skipped over an entire segment because I couldn't wait to talk about Disney pushing out the Marvels for this summer. The studio also shifted the Haunted Mansion up a month. So there you have it, Dave. Uh, What is this a sign of? You know something? I I think when they do this, there's, you know, um, look, I'm going to read into this very positively. The fact is that they moved the Haunted Mansion up a month into the slot that uh, the Marvels had, and they're putting Marvels into November. That says to me they've got uh, high hopes for both of these films. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm excited because I'm hopeful that the Haunted Mansion reboot is going to be really good yeah. and maybe, you know, have a good run in the summer. And I'm also excited because the Marvels, they're moving it to November, you know, and I think that's fantastic because that's that's a run into the holiday season. Well, right. And I think I think you're exactly right. I think they're spacing out the Marvel content a little bit to let it breathe. You know, you and, just, and you know uh, something they need to do that. I, yeah. I mean, you know, Bob Iger, uh, you know, said that they they need to look at their budgets. Uh, you know, the the this so called arms race with the streaming services where they were just throwing tons of money at at everything you know, that moved to try and get content. I think all the streamers are pulling back now, and I think it's smart that Disney spaces out a lot of their their uh, um, you know, MCU material, their Marvel uh, uh, films uh, from the standpoint that you don't want to uh, give your audiences fatigue. Yeah. You know, you don't want to keep throwing these movies out so quickly that people can't catch their breath. It's like, let them savor these movies. Let them, you know, pine for the next one. Uh, you know, spread them out a little bit. I think that's a smart move on their part. Exactly right. You know, this comes on the heels of Bob Iger coming out and saying that they're going to be uh, really focusing on quality content and really paring back what's going on at Disney Company in terms of spending. So I think it's just wiser that way. They have multiple quarters where they can have big earnings. They can space it out. Don't fatigue people. And of course, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania opened to a pretty decent uh, opening weekend. It said uh, just from Thursday previews alone, $17.5 And so they're probably going to do really well 
with that. I think film, that, you know, look, they're eyeing, uh, I think, 110, 120 million dollar opening weekend. I mean, I think that's fantastic, you know. And and by the way, let that movie run a little bit, you know. Please. I mean, you know, let let it have its legs. Exactly right. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, the same template of, oh, we're going to release this and it's going to run for six weeks and then we're going to pull it, you know, even at the height of it's making money. Do you, I mean, I feel like they could have done that with Spider-Man, you know, uh, the last Spider-Man film. Uh, they could have let that run another additional, you know, six weeks, probably made tons more money. Yeah, but they did do a re-release on that. They did do a re-release on that. They, they, they cool. did put it back out in the theaters, and you know, I think they did. They do it with, uh, uh, you know, additional scenes. Yeah, and things ten, like ten that. minutes, yeah. Of 12, ten to twelve minutes of extra footage. But uh, right. so, you know, yeah. hey, I mean, good for them. But uh, I am looking forward to what's coming up in terms of the Marvels. Uh, you've got you know Brie Larson back as well, so that's going to be good. And then, of course, Haunted Mansion. And I believe it's produced by Scarlett Johansson. So this is kind of a, I don't want to say it's a make good, but I know that, you know, she's got her, her skin in the game is on there. And of course it starts with uh, Rosario Dawson and Tiffany Haddish, Owen Wilson and Danny DeVito. That's going to be amazing. So I can't wait. Let's uh, I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So you sent me this, you know, Hollywood reporter is saying how much is too much. And Marvel and Star Wars, Disney rethinks its franchise output. We did talk a little bit about that. You know, f- fatigue, you know, market fatigue is a real thing. It happens in in my world, uh, in, in musical instruments and things of that nature, but it also happens in entertainment as well. Um, you know, do you think that over the course of the amount, uh, the past few years, that there's just way too much of the Marvel and Star Wars content that's out there? You know, I, here's what I'll say about it. You know, I, I think this is smart that they're going to start spacing this material out. I think that's a smart thing for them to do. Uh, I I'll, I'll use this as an example. If you remember years ago on ABC, they had who wants to be a millionaire with Regis Philbin Mm -hmm. and it was a huge hit. And what did they do? They said, Oh, it's a huge hit one day, you know, one night a week. Oh, let's put it on five nights a week. Yeah. And they they put it on five nights a week and they killed the show. Yeah. They killed it. They mm-hmm. took the the shine off of how special it was. They should have just left it that one night a week, but they had to do five nights a week and then they wound up killing the show. It wound up going to daytime with different hosts and stuff like that. So I do believe that, you know, if you're turning out really top quality material like Andor and The Mandalorian and other shows like that, spread them out a little bit. Make people, you know, wait to see the next season. Like I am looking forward to the next season uh, of The Mandalorian dropping, yeah, which is what, March 1st or something yep, like coming that? Coming right up. It's coming up, right? It's coming right up. So. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, honestly, that that's my feeling on it. And, uh, and and as much as I hate the fact that they're dripping, you know, an episode a week when they do release it, uh, as opposed to putting the entire season up, uh, look, I, it makes me it makes me look forward to the next week, you know, and seeing the next episode. So, 
I feel like they could adapt a Netflix type of binge, see, you know, situation where they release four episodes and then they take a month off and then release the next four episodes, right? I mean, they're doing that with you. They did it with Stranger Things. I feel, yeah. I feel like once you get me hooked, I want to watch more than just one episode. And, and by the way, I agree with you on that. I kind of feel like when they when they're launching a new season, drop two episodes. Ah, I love that. Just, they, just do two episodes right away. They don't used to do don't that. just drop one. They did that. They used to do that. And uh, they did it with WandaVision. They did it, yes. I think, even with Loki and The Mandalorian. They dropped two episodes. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe Obi-Wan, they did that. And those are all great series. And we just, I think once you drop it, they want, I think people have the expectation of we want this kind of cinematic feel. You yeah. Know, we want two episodes back to back. And that way it just whets our appetite for the next, the rest of the season. They did it with AMC plus with the walking dead. So yeah, I think they can stay. It firmly that. puts the hook in you. Exactly. Because if you put two episodes out there, you've hooked people and right. they're not going to get away. You're going to reel them in. Oh my gosh. If they did that with Picard, I think my mind would be blown up <laughs> right now. My mind would be blown up, but I mean, I think that that's right. They, they sick, they sick, sick you on it. It's like, you know, I'm totally hooked. And uh, I think that's a really good way to go um, with doing these shows. But, you know, who knows? I mean, I think people can get fatigued, but I think more importantly, the content and storytelling has to be there first and foremost. Give people a reason to tune in. And it, once again, it's not bad to service the fans. Give people what they want. I hope they do it with Indiana Jones. Dave, please don't let me down. I'm, I'm hoping so much that they don't mess up Indiana Jones, Dave. I don't think they will. Okay. I hope not. I, I, this is going to be a great year of movies. I'm telling you. I can't wait, to be honest. I you can't know, this wait. past weekend with Ant Man and, and the Wasp yep. dropping. Yep. Uh, all I can say is that, you know, it's just the beginning. There's a lot of great movies coming up, you know, Indiana Jones 5 and yep. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part yep. 1. Oh, I, yeah. You know, there's so many good movies. Uh, the Haunted Mansion, I, I'm anticipating that. Looking forward to seeing that. Yep. Uh, I mean, so many films coming out this year. I can't wait. Well, beyond the film talk, we do have some uh, regrets this week. And a big one played an important you, role. Yes, go ahead, Dave. You know, I honestly, Al John, I almost feel like we need to have a bumper for death. <laughs> I know. Celebrating death. Oh. You know, well, something. Celebrating you know, life. Because <laughs> we, 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 do, we do have so many entertainers and, and, and people behind the scenes that are passing away. You know, we, they this see, is true. You know, the, it, it, it just seems to be accelerating almost. I think this is true, but I think you know, there's not a lot of other podcasts out there that really celebrate the, the the passing of some of the biggest Hollywood stars that are out there. And so I'm, I'm, we're happy to celebrate their lives when they pass instead of just give them a, you know, 140 character blip on Twitter. So celebrating uh, death. <laughs> so, so morbid. Uh, Raquel Welch star of one million years BC dies at the age of 82. Um, Everyone grew up with Raquel Welch as just, you know, an icon, a legendary, you know, sex symbol, if you will. I mean, that term is kind of outdated now, but uh, she definitely was on the poster, uh, the walls of so many, on the poster uh, of the walls of so many young men out there back in the day. But uh, I think people know her from Fantastic Voyage from 1966. 
uh, bedazzled in 67. So, you know, right up in the late 60s, she she definitely made her mark in pop culture. Uh, Dave, it's not surprising, but it is sad when you see an icon like this pass away. Well, you know, it is a bit of a surprise to me because I think 82 is kind of young. Yes. You know, uh, especially for Raquel Welch. She looked fantastic in later years. 100%. Um, and uh, so this was kind of a surprise, I thought. Uh, and uh, she does leave behind a great body of work. Um, and, uh, you know, and she's she she's sort of, uh, you know, an icon from uh, the, you know, the end of the glamour years of uh, Hollywood, you yeah. know? Yeah, 100 uh, percent. She is survived by son Damon Welch and daughter Tanny Welch. So uh, there you there you have it. So anyway, rest in peace. And then we have what comes as a real surprise. Very young. Dave Hollis, former Disney distribution uh, distribution exec, dies at 47. He led the studio's theatrical distribution operation from 2011 to 2018, playing a key role in the Avengers series and the relaunch of the Star Wars franchise. Dave, did you know, Dave? Hollis? You know, I, I, had, I had met him a handful of times. I was in a few meetings with him when he was working at uh, Home Entertainment uh, at, at Disney. You know, the Walt Disney Home Entertainment was the division that handled all the, you know, VHS and DVD releases for many, many years. I don't even know if that exists anymore, if it's been folded into some other thing during all these reorgs. But, uh, you know, he was a nice enough guy and he was, a, you know, he had really a meteoric rise. Uh, through the executive ranks uh, at Disney, and and then he up and quit one day uh, after ten years at the company. He just up and quit uh, and uh, uh, moved back to Texas to do. Uh, he wrote some motivational books and uh, had worked with uh, his wife's company um, uh, doing and she was she was a motivational speaker and all of that. So this was really a surprise when it came across uh, when I when I saw this headline uh, hit. Uh, so, you know, rest in peace, Dave Hollis, man, you know, so young, so young. And I knew, you know, there there are some reports there that he may have had some demons and situations like that. But. You know, I hope he he and his family find peace. So rest in peace, Dave Hollis. Yeah. Uh, another one that we we definitely needed to cover um, last week um, that was reported: James Flynn from the Banshees of Innersham and the Vikings producer dies at fifty-seven. Also very young and so much promise, Dave. Yeah, this is this was such a shock. And, and and you know what was so sad about this is James Flynn was one of the producers of Banshees of Inishiran. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's up for a lot of awards. Uh, you know, it's been nominated, it's won a bunch of awards so far. So right in the middle of all of that, I mean, you know, I'm sure uh, Banshees is gonna pick up a couple of awards at the Academy Awards in March, uh, for something. You know, and something that's been nominated. And uh, and here's one of the producers, James Flynn, dying at 57. He's going to miss all of that. And that's that's really sad. Yeah. And, you know, when I I saw a commercial recently about behind the soundtrack and about this, that and the other. And, of course, he popped up on the ad and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, he just passed away. And they're releasing yeah. like the behind the scenes of Banshees. And I'm like, oh, what a, what a shame. 
But anyway, uh, James Flynn, please rest in peace. And, yeah, uh, and and by the way, I will. I want to give a shout out to him because he was very much involved in the Irish Film Board oh, yeah. uh, and uh, and filmmaking in uh, Ireland, uh, and had contributed a lot of uh, time and effort uh, to promoting Ireland as a place for filmmaking. So well, and I know that. Uh, rings true to you because uh, you and your wife spent a lot of time there in Ireland, did you not? Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. We lived in uh, Dublin and uh, uh, for almost a year. And, uh, you know, beautiful, beautiful country and beautiful people. 100%. Can't wait to go there one day. That'd be amazing. And uh, last but not least, let's remember Stella Stevens, starlet of the 60s and the Nutty Professor, passes away also at the age of 84. Dave, uh, she sparkled in the Ballad of Cable Hogue and Too Late Blues. The Poseidon Adventure, I remember that clearly. Uh, the Silencers and Girls, 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 another classic. Dave, another, uh, you know, star of the Silver Age. You know, and I have to say, you know, she uh, she was terrific in The Nutty Professor, which was uh, uh, written and directed and starred Jerry Lewis. Yes. Uh, and uh, she she was she was a great comic actress. Yes. Uh, that that's what I remember her for. And she was in a lot of great films during the 60s and into the 70s, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, a, the classic Poseidon Adventure, which is something I watched a lot when I was a kid. So there you have it. Stella Stevens passes away at the age of 84. And, uh, you know, Dave, I think I will leave in that uh, little blooper clip of me jumping the gun into this segment. Just because I think it, that's OK. Yeah, let's just let it you roll. Know? Just let it roll. So anyway, now I tell you what. We've got another great interview. Animator Ron Husband is back. So sit back and relax and enjoy the time with Ron Husband. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, here we are. We're back again for part three with Ron Husband, the legendary Disney animator and the first black animator at Walt Disney Animation Studios. Ron, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you again. I appreciate the um, invitation and I wouldn't miss it for a moment. You know, you got a great podcast. I really enjoyed uh, the listen uh, you know, of the past podcast that you you and Al John have put together. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Yeah. Well, it, you know what? It's really great to have you on. And and I have to say, I, I, I just enjoy talking with you because, you know, I have so many fond memories of of chatting with you over the years. And uh, the fact that I would just run into you in the hallways like I've done with so many of our colleagues over the years. Uh, so it, it's just I don't know. It's just uh, bringing back a flood of memories um, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And, and it seems like it is for you as well uh, from the standpoint of just, uh, you know, bringing back uh, uh, all of the stories uh, that, that come about uh, when we start chatting. Definitely, definitely so. You know, I mean, you know, we, we, you mentioned, you know, running to me, run. I mean, the fact that, you know, we've, been around so great a talent, you know, all of our, all of, you know, just 
this guy and this girl, and you know, just the talent that has come through the the halls of, of Disney Studios, working on these pictures, you know, and and going on to do great things. You got Brad Bird, you got Tim Burton, you know, they all came through that same trainee program. You know, Henry Selleck, Jerry Reese, you know, Glenn King, you know, the same trainee program that it went through. You know, they came through the same program and, and have gone on to do great. Great things, man. So you know, all the talent, you know, then the, the, what is built on Frank, Ollie, Mel, uh, Willie, you know, Eric, you know, um, and I mean, geez, you know, just bumping shoulders with all this great, great talent. Andreas, <laughs> Eric, man. And, and it's ahead, really, it, it, I was going to say, it's really, it's really sort of, you know, you're building on the shoulders of all those uh, original guys, you know, yeah. and, and now there's a whole new generation, hopefully building on the generation of all those that came after uh, the original nine old men and, and all those folks. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was the, the purpose of the trainee program. I, you know, we got this. We walked in the door, right? Yeah, there you it's go. School of animation, and you know, and, and there's a a memo uh, that that Walt wrote to um, Don Graham, you know, to, to 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 sort of formulate a program to be able to teach his artists uh, drawing and and all the things that that are going to help make this Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. You know, this was a memo that he sent to Don Graham on December twenty third, nineteen. 35, you know, and uh, to, to formulate this program and, and the trainee program was built on 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 that um, for the, the younger generation back, you know, and this was like in, the, in like 71 when they, they originally put the program together. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're just, just, you know, the building and uh, we're fortunate to have been there at that, that time when animation was sort of in a lull and sort of build and build and build and build and build it. You know, it was through the roof, and Don Hahn's um, um, "Waking Sleeping Beauty" sort of captures all that moment. It, it really does. I mean, uh, and to our listeners, if you haven't had a chance to watch uh, "Waking Sleeping Beauty," it really does. I think as it comes as close to the truth as you possibly can without actually having been there uh, to all the things that went on. Right. I mean, it really does, but you know, you know, Ron, we left off. uh, I think we left off talking about hunchback and the fact that you were the supervising animator on Jolly uh and uh and and i didn't want to rush us through all the other films so i just wanted to to sort of pick up where we left off and and talk about after after hunchback uh you are on hercules you did the titans and uh, and the cyclops uh yeah there was a lot of uh we were trying to to get the picture done (laughs) Yeah. So Ron's free. So let's give him some scenes and let him go at it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you had talked uh, in the last uh, couple episodes about the fact that you kind of became the crowd guy. You were doing lots of crowd scenes and stuff, but you really got. Um, uh, you got bumped up into a supervising animator on the Jolly or Jolly, I should say. I keep wanting to put the D in yeah. there, <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
you know, uh, uh, the fact is, is that, you know, you really were a solid animator all those years working on all of these films. And, and what comes to mind when you think about Hercules? Uh, well, just the fact that, you know, it was a tail end of the picture and, uh, you know, they wanted to get it done. And uh, so they had me doing, you know, the, there was a number of different characters. Was, the horse was running, they freeze up, and there's uh, a crowd climbing over the fence to get to Hercules' uh, uh, residence. And was, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the gods getting in their um, shirts and they're taking off with these horse, uh, these horses, and one's red, got a bull. You know, there's just a lot of different. Uh, season and then you know the cyclops and so they got to give you uh screen credit for for something so you know so they'll give you you know multiple characters they pick out you know one oh he did he worked on cyclops boom he was but it was a lot of different characters that i worked on just to help um uh brian and john get the picture done yeah and then from there, you went on to Fantasia 2000, which I spent a lot of time working on. Um, and, and you yeah. worked on probably one of my most favorite sequences from the movie. And that's uh, the uh, Firebird uh, sequence. And you yeah. did the you did the elk. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was in the, in the hallways uh, looking at some boards that um, Paul and Gaetan had. And, and then you end up. Uh, I think Paul was explaining the picture to me and said, well, you think you might want to work on this? And he said, well, send me over some um, um, some tests, you know, that you've done. And so, because, you know, the four-legged character, uh, yeah. elk, and um, so I sent him over uh, some some roughs I did of Jolly, some rough tests. And uh, they asked me to do the, to be the supervisor, animator on the, on the elk. And there was a certain kind of elk that... Um, that they wanted, you know, this, this big, you know, different, I mean, different kinds of elk, but, you know, basically their antlers fall off yearly. Yeah. And they grow back like a half, half inch, a, a half inch a day for like six months. So they get these big old racks. And, and, um, and there was, they look, we looked or they, you know, they, uh, we uh, searched for, for elk whose antlers hadn't fallen off. And there was no place uh, in the zoos around Southern California, up to down the coast. And there was this one elk farm in Plentywood, Montana. And so, and so um, um, Paul, uh, Britzi, and uh, Fred Herman, and I were going to take a trip up to uh, the elk farm. <laughs> I remember it was the day after the Super Bowl. So it was in January. So it was, you know, it, it's cold. You know, Southern California cold doesn't doesn't have anything to do with Midwest or Eastern cold, particularly up in Montana. So we flew up in this, uh, you know, we flew to Denver, and and uh, from Denver, uh, we took this small plane. That's this small. It was big enough for uh, the three of us. And you know, it's small when they say, "Okay, you guys, you sit over here. You sit in the back, and we put the." We put the luggage right here in the middle. You sort of balance things. The, the balance in the weight of the the balance in the weight of the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we flew into I think Idaho, and then Fred had you know, we rented a car, and Fred drove over to um, to a couple a couple hours to uh, this elk farm in Plentywood, Montana. <laughs> I mean, it was January, right? And so it had been snowing for like 
months there. And, you know, and, and the whole landscape was like this dirty snow, um, plenty of wood, a small town. We didn't drive because, Dave, it was 14 below zero. There was no <laughs> walking around. That's in the daytime. And oh. at night, it was 28 below zero. Oh, my you know, gosh. We're, we're from Southern California, you know, and, and so, you know, we, we went to Art Props and got a uh, wardrobe and got these big coats and you know we literally look like the missionary man you know the missionary man yeah you know, the yeah guy in, uh, the little buddy in, uh, in 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 the christmas story you know, he's all he's all bundled up and he can't yeah. <laughs> that's what we literally look like because you know southern california coal is you know i had never experienced anything you know just 28 blows but uh they uh we had a van and they fed the um, the elk outside the van. They had a van had big picture windows. You know, the heat's turned up, you know, uh, going uh, 90 degrees. And so I'm inside drawing these elk in their natural habitat in the snow. Wow. Uh, and uh, so we spent a couple of days up there. <laughs> we went into, um, across the street was a, a restaurant. You know, and people drive at the restaurant and they leave the car going, you know, so the engine doesn't freeze up, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you got these, these guys inside. We walk in, you know, Paul and and um, and Fred and myself, and we all we all bundled up like you know the kid on uh, the Christmas Christmas story. story. Like we, yeah, we yeah. Walk in and and, got, and they got, they're sitting there, Lily in in in, in short sleeve shirts, and you know, just pretty casual. And they look over and say, <laughs> "Where you boys from?" What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I tell you, I tell you one thing: when you grow up with cold weather, you you have a more of a tolerance for it than you do when you're living yeah, in yeah. Southern California. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Southern California. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was my experience. But again, you got a chance to to research uh, yeah. the kind of elk that they wanted these big big elk and uh, come back and and uh, did some experimental animation and uh, they had a you know the process and. Um, and in, in, with the CGI um, element, where they um, digitized the, the the antlers, they they were um, able, able to, yeah they were able to keep a model or or create a mo yeah. a three dimensional model of the mm -hmm. uh, uh, of the antlers that they then um, uh, match moved to your rough animation and right. and and yeah, that yeah. and that assisted the cleanup artists in being able to yeah. move through the cleanup a little quicker uh, and also maintain yeah. the yeah. antlers in a very uh, um, solid uh, dimensional way. Yeah, but they still had the the human element to it. Yeah, you know? so it wasn't like a perfect uh, CGI element stuck on a a, a a traditional animation. But it was you know, but by adding the 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 actually the human element, where you're going to get a little off or you know here and there, but it's not enough to to draw attention. Like um, in Bambi, where you got the antlers are sort of uh, wiggling. As yeah, they, they're they're like swimming. Around. Yeah, they're swimming. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but this took all that element out of it, but still, it it didn't look like um, you know just stuck on CGI CGI element to uh, traditional. It looked it, it worked perfect, you know. And and John's animation of the Firebird and, and Tony DeRosa's animation of the Sprite, uh, you know, just it was it, it, it was a really a pleasure to work on. Uh,
Yeah, it, it really is one of my favorite sequences from, from Fantasia 2000. Uh, I just think it it was beautifully executed by everybody, you know, and and the and the effects animation is is, is gorgeous. I'm I'm a little little oh, bit yeah. bi- biased to the effects animation, but I have to say it it really was uh, I think just beautifully done. Yeah, yeah, great um, visually. Uh, yeah, you know the the element of the uh, you know the combination of, of both. You know that 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 lava coming down yeah. and uh, you know just, and, oh man, it, it's great. Yeah, and um, and also I had an opportunity to do uh, the rats and the um, the ten soldiers segment. Yeah, yep, yep. The yeah. the the uh, piano concerto number two. Uh, yeah, the Allegro Opus 102, uh, which is the tin, the tin soldier <laughs> sequence. Uh, and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, again, uh, a lot of, a lot of fun working on those, uh, shorter projects I felt. And then, and then from Fantasia, you yeah. went on to John Henry, which was, which was Mark Hen's, uh, short, short subject. Yeah, just some um, some character development. You know, I didn't do any actual animation. It was just uh, uh, some some character development um, on the look of, of John Henry. You, you you did character design and visual development on that project. Yeah. 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 And, uh-huh. and, and did you feel like you were were you asked to work on that because it was about a black character? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I, they had work to be done, and um, and I was available and yeah. uh, willing to, to to jump in and do what I could. So I think there was a um, you know that type of element. Well, we got to get a black guy to work on this black character. We're doing. You know, I just think it was just uh, we we need somebody, and I was available. Right. Right. Uh, no, I and I think that's great. I, I, you know, the reason why I bring that up is because we we have talked briefly about the fact that you are the first black animator at Walt Disney Animation Studios, and how does that make you feel? Do do you feel like that was like just serendipitous? It was at the moment, or <laughs> did it make a difference to you? Or I, I you know, I, I, I guess I, I'm not sure what the right question is to ask you, but I just wanted to ma- ask you how you felt about that. I had no idea it was like literally making history. Um, coming from a, a background of of literally no animation, no animation experience. You know, I hadn't been following Disney animation or any type of animation, and looking for a more creative outlet. From like I said, I think we talked earlier about you know doing block diagrams and flowcharts uh, for a year and a half or so, and just want to do something more creative and. You know, everybody who came into the training program, you know, they were saying, okay, you know, we get through this and we're, we're on a path to perhaps become animators. Even though there's, you know, there's different, you can go into an in-between era, breakdown person, assistant animator, you can go off into story, you can go into vis development. There's a whole lot of avenues to go through. Uh, and once you finish up the trainee program, so I was just trying to finish up the trainee program and just Keep on moving on and making progress, and and uh, and and part of that was just in order to maintain employment, which was important for me at the time. Sure, you know, and is to is to take in all the information that was coming towards me, and and to be able to process all that, and to come up with uh, 
animation that's going to be accessible to be a part of a film. And uh, so when I was um, promoted to be an animator, and again, it, it didn't come automatically, you know, doing in-betweens for Frank Thomas and getting um, little scenes that he would give me to do and uh, 51 feet of animation uh, on weekends uh, after I, you know, after I, my important thing I was doing is Frank's in-betweens and doing a good job on that, right? So, and uh, doing little scenes that he would give me and, by the end of the production, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, didn't have a hundred, you had to, again, you had to do a hundred feet of animation to your screen credit. Right. And uh, to be recognized as, an, as a Disney animator. And on Next Picture, uh, Peace Dragon, another 50 some odd feet. And, um, but, you know, that, that's, uh, I'm getting closer, hopefully you're getting closer, closer. And then on, on the, um, the small one, finally getting there, and I think we, we discussed the circumstances yeah. that I was uh, promoted to animated with. Um, and it didn't, I mean, you know, animation is, again, it's huge today, but back then it was just this little, you know, little bump in the road. Yeah. And uh, Disney's doing the best animation on the block. And uh, so I'm an animator within the Disney framework of things. And you, I was going to say, you met, you met the criteria, right? I yeah, mean, that, yeah. that's really what yeah. it boiled down to. You built up to when you got to the small one and it could have been rescuers or it could have been another picture, but you got to the point where you did a hundred feet of animation that the director loved. And that was it. As soon as you cross that mark, yeah. they're like, you're an animator. Yeah. Right. And you were right, just, right. Doing, you, you you were doing exactly what everyone else was doing, you know, Dale Bear or any right. of the other guys that came through the training program, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glenn Kane, you know, he had been promoted to an animator. He had been in the studio like six months or so before I was there. So he had a longer time to work on the rescuers. And uh, so, you know, he was promoted to an animator uh, going going forward. Um, and, you know, again, there was people who came through, didn't hit, didn't hit the – the magic number and you know they were not given screen credit right because they weren't animators you know they, right there was um assistants or in between in betweeners or breakdown persons who were got who got an opportunity to animate but they didn't meet the full criteria right and you know once you you got there we talked about you know you, you get off the clock you get an animator salary because uh you know the, the screen or the animated the union, you know, they got certain categories and certain pay scales. So, you know, so I met those, and and it was just on to the next to the next picture. So, but it, you know, the studio did make the studio did make um, a point to uh, advertise that I was the first black animator to um, um, cities and and communities that had, I would say, a black newspaper. You know, or he went to Ebony Magazine. Sure. Uh, you know, and so uh, so there was publicity, but it was publicity too geared towards the black community, letting the black community know that you know that Ron Husband is the first black animator at Disney, and that was sort of it. You know, but but I guess my I guess my point would be is that you didn't feel like you were doing anything to make history you were just going through the program yeah going through the program I said the history thing just didn't resonate at the particular point in time because you know I'm I want to 
do a good job so I can maintain yeah. my employment. Right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. So it, it was, it was uh, okay. This is a, a, quite an accomplishment because you know people would say, "Oh, Brown husband, I know him. I went to school with him." You know, yeah. Uh, you're, you're uh, you made history at Disney, but you know, and, um, you just want to keep on doing and because it's a uh, you know, art is like a, a, a learning. A constant learning process. You get, yeah. you know, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice just makes you better. And yeah. I wanted to get better. You know, everybody around had that same attitude of, of just wanting to get better and produce better, um, better pictures, better storytelling vehicles. And, and, and I'm imagining it was really like you're just looking to become a better artist. The fact that yeah. you became an animator it was almost like the afterthought, like, oh, Ron's the first black animator. And I don't want to say that it's an afterthought. I think it, it, to me, it, the important part was you became an animator. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the, the goal. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't, yeah. And, I mean, that was a goal because, I mean, you got all the, all the, this young, burgeoning talent around you and everybody's got that mindset that, you know, I want to be an animator, you know, you got Frank and Thomas and Ali Johnson, and Mel Con- you know, I, I want to be on those, those guys. I want to do what those guys do. Right. Right. And so I'm just right. along with them, you know, and I'm, I'm doing my best, you know, to, to be able to uh, maintain the tradition that these gentlemen had set for the last 40 some odd years. Right. And, and you know, it's funny because, I think you probably get these questions all the time. Like what it was, what was it like to work on these great films, these classic films like beauty and the beast and Aladdin. And, and it's sort of like, I've always viewed it as gee, we never knew it was going to be a classic when we were working on it. We were just trying to do the best we possibly could. The fact that they became a classic 10, 15, 20, 30 years later is, is sort of like it makes you feel good. But at the time, you weren't thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we were after um, Black Cauldron, you know, we were, again, you know, put off the lot and in these warehouses in Glendale and and Jeffrey, you know, and and. Uh, Jeffrey, was Jeffrey Casper, um, Frank Wells, and uh, Michael Eisner. Yeah, Michael Eisner. You know, if animation gonna gonna be any part of Disney. Then you know, you got to do a picture a year, right? right. So you know, we're we're doing we're we're cranking these things out. You know, and uh, and trying to maintain Disney's um, tradition of of quality animation. But at the end of those pictures, you, you know yourself. You know. You're, yeah, because we've been we've been hard trying to get this thing done over time, you know, you know, up the wall, and and getting these things done. And say, okay, you guys, get, get this time, well, let's do it again. Yeah, you know? and it wasn't until you know they they started overlapping uh, productions, one here and one over in in Florida, that we sort of got a little bit more of a break between having to get a picture done. Uh, uh, but you know, it, it was you know, and so looking back. Uh, a classic becomes a classic over a period of time. You know? Correct. You don't know that you, you you don't know you're working on a classic. It, no, it, no, no. Time has to pass after you finished it and let the audience determine whether it's a classic. 
Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's. I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, you you put everything into your picture, and you never know how it's going to turn out. Right. You know, you present to the audience. The audience is going to respond to it, or they're not going to respond to it. And sometimes it's just, I say just, but you know how when it's released, the release date. Uh, you know, Lion King was out there. I think when Lion King came out, uh, there was like a Forrest Gump or something was out there. There was just two pretty good pictures out there and there was not the not a whole lot of competition you know even though you know lion king was a great on its own it would have, would have stood up you know with any other but you know it was that summer it wasn't that much out there so so um lion king did tremendous and they pulled it back and they re-released it a couple months later you yeah know? and and people re- really responded to that responded to that and uh um, you know the rest is just uh, again classics you know that but you never know until you actually, um, you know, put it out there, and, and the audience, the audience is going to tell you whether or not it's, it's popular or not. And then the re- re- repeat uh, audience is going to uh, guarantee you know whether how well it's going to do in the long run. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, just getting back to the films, uh, you worked on Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and then Treasure Planet. You were part of Glenn Keane's unit on Captain Long John Silver. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that was an interesting picture because there was a lot of integration of computer generated animation with tradition, with traditional animation. And I'm just curious how you, uh, liked or disliked working on the character like that because John Silver had, uh, a CGI, uh, arm. Yeah. Arm, eye, uh, earpiece. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah but yeah, you know, it wasn't that difficult because again, uh, the CGI artists, you know, they would follow the lead, you know, where the head was, right? Um, the ankles, and they were able to follow that uh, to a T. So uh, it 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 wasn't. Um, um, it wasn't difficult, uh, difficult for you. All. It wasn't difficult for you because yeah. you were actually leading the CG. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm really curious, after Treasure Planet, I see Looney Tunes back in action. Did you leave after Treasure Planet? Or was that a freelance uh, gig? Yeah, that was that was actually um, the last picture I worked on at Disney. You know, they were sort of phasing out... Uh, that that was the treasure after Treasure Planet they decided to go all yeah. CG right, and and so you went over yeah, yeah, was, you worked you worked on Looney Tunes but then you also came back and worked on Mickey Donald Goofy and the Three Musketeers. Yeah, and that was TV animation. So I had left right. the studio after okay. uh, um, Treasure Planet. So okay. that, that was my last feature, and uh, yeah, things were sort of winding down um, for me and. Uh, so, you know, I had no choice. You know, they had didn't have a place for me, you know, over in, in CGI. And uh, so I, you know, just, um, you know, just left the studio. But on the other, on the other hand, um, I was home maybe a week and I got a call. And I uh, said so they were uh, doing um, Looney Tunes. And um, I think um, Eric Goper, uh, was uh, heading that up, and uh, so I got a call, and I started, and so I went over and, and animated on that, and, you know, and um, 
that came to an end and was home for about a week and got another call and, uh, you know, come on and uh, do something else. So I, I, uh, TV animation. Yeah. So I was uh, over across the street from uh, with Sonora and uh, TV yeah. animation. Uh, yeah. they, they, they were doing some things over there, uh, the Heffalump movie. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was doing some things there. Bambi, um, Bambi 2. Bambi 2, yeah, doing some animation. You know, they said, well, okay, you worked on the elk, can you come over and work on uh, on some Bambi stuff? <laughs> and uh, there, and I got a, got a call and an invitation to come down to um, – Disney had a studio in um, in Australia, right? With, yeah, and uh, so I got a call to do an invitation and call to come down, and they wanted me to animate half the time and to teach half the time. They're great artists, but they, you know, most of them hadn't gone to like uh, traditional um, art school, so they, right. they were doing animation, but they need some some training on you know some basic things, uh, anatomy, things of that nature. Yeah. To uh, to supplement what they were doing, because you know they're great, great bunch of bunch of artists down there, and um, so I spent three months down in Australia, um, and instead of being able to animate, you know my my whole time there, I taught, you know, and and put out and put out interdepartmental fires, you know, one <laughs> department didn't get along with. How do you talk? You know, how, how does the, the effects department talk with the, this department and this department? So I was uh, putting out um, uh, interdepartmental fires as well as uh, teaching. Uh, how, how did you like and, Australia? You know, were, were you in Sydney? Oh, great. Yeah, Sydney. Yeah, I was. Uh, uh, they their uh, studio at the time was in Sydney, and I would live within walking distance. I'd walk work uh, each morning. Um, and it, you know it was great, and and their um, their their seasons are opposite hours. So I went Correct. down there in in uh, June, July, and, and August, and that's like their their winter time. It's like yeah. December, January, February for them. But you know their 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 winters are mild, like more, more like Southern California winters. Yeah. So, but I really enjoyed myself. Uh, you know, it was, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed being down there. That that's fantastic. Got some great sketches too. And, and then you came back and you worked on Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginnings. Yeah, yeah, still uh, doing some storyboards uh, for for that. Um, yeah, yeah, and, just, and, just, and, and then I, and I was going to say from there you've kind of segued into teaching, which you're still doing, right? Yeah, yeah, I got a I done a seminar on at uh, Mount Sac um, Junior College and. They uh, say, would you be interested in coming down and teaching a class? And it's just a fundamental drawing class. So it wasn't anything uh, specific, it was a fundamental drawing class. And uh, I said, okay, I'll, I'll try it out. And I really loved and enjoyed um, that uh, that teaching experience, which led to more teaching experiences. Um, Art Center, uh, Bill Perkins was putting together a, a program I wanted to bolster up uh, Art Center's uh, animation program, so um, I, I started a, I said, an experimental program based on Walt Stansfield's uh, action analysis classes that you used to yeah. teach at lunchtime. Uh-huh. And uh, so I put put together an action analysis class there, um, and I'm I'm there still teaching there, and. Um, 
and just recently I was asked to come in to Cal Poly Pomona. Uh, a teacher got ill and they need somebody to fill out the the, the semester. So I, yeah. I was teaching uh, half half a semester there and they uh, liked it so well they asked me to come back in the fall and teach a, a figure drawing class. So <laughs> I'll be teaching um, possibly three schools. Uh, when, I'm, I'm retired, right? Now, but, I, I, I was going to ask you, you're, you're, you're kind <laughs> of like, we're going to have to use air quotes when we say you're retired because you're, you really just yeah, sort of seg- yeah, you segued into a, um, shall we say a more leisurely, uh, uh, work environment or not? Yeah. And yeah, it's, um, well, grading papers and grading drawings, you know, that, that's the hard part, you know, right, um, right. You know but teaching is, 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 uh, what I love to do. And, yeah. uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's doable, you know, and I'll yeah. do it for a couple more years, see what, see what happens, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe I can enjoy I could enjoy my retirement, but just sort of kick back and sleep till 10, 11 o'clock or so. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, 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 go ahead. Go you know, ahead. When I first left Disney, um, you know, I, I, and retire, well, actually, when I, yeah, when I, when I, oh, actually, I was over in, um, uh, took a job doing at Disney's um, publications, right? So oh, I was right, there for right, years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thirty years in animation, eight years in, in publications. Uh, but gets has to do Steamboat School and uh, you know work on uh, you know what they were doing. Uh, yeah, and then when I retired from there, you know I slept late, but that just didn't do very much for me. So I had to do something more uh, demanding. <laughs> well, I I have to say I'm an advocate of never retiring. I think you always have to keep busy and keep doing things and you know, yeah. it's it's just that you can kind of downshift a little bit and not have have as much pressure on you. You know, and I think yeah, that's yeah. that's the enjoyable yeah. part of it. Yeah, cuz it's at my at my disposal, right? So yeah. I say yes, I'll take this class this semester. Or no, you know, I won't. So I don't teach during the summertime. So it's uh, fall and spring. So, and so you have yeah. you have your you have your summers off. Yeah. But yeah. let me ask you this: you're always you're always going someplace with a sketchbook, aren't you? Do you go out like on a on a weekly oh, yeah, basis yeah. and say I'm I'm going to go to the shopping center or I'm going to go to to you know the gardens or something and and just sit on a bench and sketch people? You describe my day today. I, I bought a pair of sh- I asked two pair of tennis shoes and they you know they hurt my feet, so I took them back and exchanged them and. Uh, and I came out of the store and these people are walking around with these bags and that's, oh, I just, I took a seat and just spent, a, you know, about an hour sketching uh, before I came home. You know, so, I mean, that, that's me, man. That That's awesome. That is so awesome. Now, the one thing I wanted to ask you about, and, uh, and we were waiting until this third part of our interview, was I wanted you to talk a little bit about your pen and ink drawings, because mm-hmm. you, you sent me a bunch of images, and I was blown away. I loved them. I thought I loved the subject matter. I, the one with the circus uh, uh, yeah. w- w- was just phenomenal uh but you have so many different images can you talk a little bit about your personal art 
Yeah, um, it, it goes back to, actually, I started pinning when I was about maybe nine, ten years old, you know, uh, doing ink drawings. And um, and as a, you know, and in high school, I did this this drawing at, at uh, won uh, an award uh, locally at um, Bullock's downtown. They used to have bookstores, but it won a Bullock's and it went to New York and it won a, a national award for Penny uh, in high school. And, you know, so I always had that, uh, that black and white image thing going on that, um, that, that I sort of, you know, I enjoyed. And then when, um, when I got pigeonholed doing these, um, crowd scenes, you know, I, I didn't want to go to work with a, a sour attitude. So I said, well, you know, what, what can I do? I'll, I'll, I'll do more pen and ink work. And, um, so I really sort of dove into doing pen and ink, and I sort of narrowed it down to um, uh, black people in the South in the 1930s. So that, that's sort of my niche of, of where uh, I draw my uh, subject matter from. And my mom was from the South, and she'd tell me these stories about uh, uh, her uh, exploits uh, in the South, and and I, you know, Southern California born, never been spent much time in the South, right? Uh, just short visits, and uh, so I was just going on word pictures, and uh, so I started, you know, doing some research, and um, and so I said, you know, I really in, enjoy this uh, this period of time, and black and white sort of lends itself to that era, yeah. Um, and so uh, I started doing my pen and ink work and, and seeing how people responded to it. Because, you know, any type of artwork, it's a film or a book or, any, or anything that's, you know, it, it's what others think of that. Yeah. And uh, so I got started getting some really positive input as to what I was doing. And and so, you know, these these images that, you know, that I sent over you to take a look at, you know, I, uh, 16 by 20. So, you know, this is... You know, not overly large, but you know, fairly but, large. But still good size. Um, yeah. Yeah, still good size. Um and they and they hold up from, from a distance, uh and mid range and, and I've had people just you know, just just close trying to see these these individual lines. So every those you know, the cross hatching, you know, that that lines uh to build up the darkness. because uh, there's no just straight out the the ink bottle on on the paper no no it's it's um it's not black and white like a newspaper you know ink on white paper it's shades of gray right you know, and it's built up with cross hatching and literally you know i've had people uh literally cry looking at those art pieces uh really touching the emotions of people and so uh Reading a book or, or, or looking at a good movie, I mean, it but it it can bring tears to your eyes. It can take you to heights of emotional, uh, a smile on your face. And I get that same type of reaction with my my pen and ink work. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I put my work up on display and sit back in a corner and watch people just stare. You know, it's yeah. not just a walkthrough, but there's there's some stuff so interesting and so intricate things that are going on that, you know, I try to put enough information there where, where you can make up your own narrative. 
Sure. You know, and they got very, very simple titles, you know, Circus 1930, Baseball 1930, uh, a, a Wedding Photo 1930. You know, so I'm not trying to influence you in, in a big way. It's just this is this is a, this is a picture of a wedding ceremony, and now you make up your own narratives because there's so many people and so many emotions and and things that are happening that you know you can you can sit there and and, and look at that for for hours. Literally. I've had people purchase a piece of my work and come back a year later and say, "I just now saw this." In yes. There. Yeah. You know, uh, but you know, seeing people with. You know, with a smile on their face, you know, and 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 literally, um, I had a presenter, a person, wanted me to do a, com- uh, com- a commission piece, and she described over the phone what she wanted. And when I presented her the piece to her, she just sat down and cried. Mm. You know, it, it, you can you can you know t- touch people's emotions um, through the written word or through you know visually. Or even you know in a, in a drawn picture, you know, and, and, so and that, is, that's is, isn't that the greatest reward though? Is that when you create something, just to be able to step back and see other people's reactions to it? Yeah, 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 and like these pictures we've been working on, you know, the, the features, you know, the, yeah, to, to sit in an audience, sit in a, a theater with an audience who are responding to, they're laughing or they're really, really quiet, or yeah. you can sort of sense the emotion um, of, uh, say, Symbol's lost his dad, you know, he's yeah. dad, dad, and and you could drop a pen, you know, yeah, uh, so you know the you know, the animators can can literally reach in and and pull the heartstrings and emotions of people with 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 the word with their visuals and and so I, I try that with my 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 painting work you know, and literally you know it really does my heart good to see people really reacting emotionally to these pieces and, and you're still doing and you know you, know, you 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 email you email me and said you know wow you know this is, yeah. this is some nice stuff <laughs> so, I no I I, I really uh, did. you know when you sent me that uh, all those images I sat there and I was staring at them I was like wow these are incredible I hadn't seen them before you know so that was my my immediate reaction to it and and I'm uh, I'm curious you you're still doing pen and ink work uh, you're still doing new pieces and if you are are you still doing are you still showing your work? Yeah, actually, uh, um, I'm at a show down at Cal Poly Pomona uh, at the Art Gallery for a faculty, um, a show they're having there. So I got some pieces there. Uh, this Sunday, uh, our church is having uh, uh, myself and another artist, John Parker, are going to display our work. So, you know, after church service, people can walk through and, and see uh, the work. And then the following Sunday, um, there's uh, the Monrovia Duarte Black Alumni Association having a, a legend fundraiser, and they asked John and I to provide the artwork. So there'll be so the, it's going to be on display because of COVID. You know, they sort of limited uh, sure. a lot of um, you know shows and whatnot. So we're starting to open up a little bit. Yeah. So I'm getting some some exposure, being asked to, to show some work, and um, and it, it's you know, and this this is pending work. Has won some some prizes, you know. So it's not yeah. like I'm doing this, but you know, it's it's it's, it's uh, award winning work. Uh, and that same style is in um, uh, Steamboat School, you know. When, when I the last project I worked on in um, publications was to do the artwork for Steamboat School, 
which is based on a, a true story of uh, John Meacham, who was born into slavery, but you know he got his freedom in, in St. Louis area. And, uh, and because it was against the law to teach blacks to read and write, this is like 19, 1854, right. he got the novel idea of building a steamboat in, in, more, in, more in the Mississippi River where he could teach school off uh so he could he, he could load everybody on, go out into the river, do all the instruction, yeah. and then come back and let everybody off without anybody interrupting them. Yeah, well, it's it's federal property, the right. you know, Mississippi okay. River, and state property in the state of Missouri. So he's not breaking any state laws. It's, ah. it's just, the laws, is, you know, and so it's, it's his story. And because there's only one image of John Meacham, and I sort of fleshed it out and and uh, and do that uh, the uh, the the artwork and Steamboat School is included in the documentary uh, the bike 150 year documentary that PBS is responsible for the state of Missouri. It's called Missouri um, 150 uh, a bicentennial celebration of the, of the state of Missouri, and they included the artwork. When they when they um, cover that period of um, of uh, of their history of the state of Missouri, nice. Let me ask you, um, I, I have you done a one man show? Because I really think you should do a one man show with all these pen and ink drawings. And you know, I I talked to Jerry Reese, uh, and you know, we have an interview coming up with Jerry Reese at the end of the month, or excuse me, at the end of March. And and I know he and his wife and his sons are doing a show at the CTN uh, studio in in Burbank. I really feel like you should do uh, you should do a show of your work, you know, maybe at the CTN studio. Maybe maybe you, maybe I need to put you and Tina together. Yeah, that's that, that's uh, possible. You know, I, I, I've just been so busy that I really haven't. Um really push that end of, uh, of, of, you know, getting representation or even having a, a gallery work. But, you know, I, I know, you know, Tina, uh, we're good friends. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just, I, I just haven't, um, uh, pushed that end of, uh, of what I'm doing, but yeah, a one man show, I've got enough stuff to, to, I, 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 I certainly, I, yeah, I certainly would love to see the work uh, up close and personal in a gallery. Yeah, Be- because it, it's it's quite impressive uh, when you see it in, in uh, live. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, like when you sent me those images, I was blown away, and I love them. Especially that circus piece. I really like that circus piece. I don't know what it was about it, but it just it, it just resonated with me. And and I have to say, I'd love to see that up close. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It takes me a year to do those pieces. Wow. Uh, and actually, circus took me about a year and a half to do. Wow. Um, you know, it's you know, research. Uh, you know, when we're Disney, you do research, you know, sure. you do your pre-planning, you do a lot of thumbnails, a lot of thumbnails. Yeah. Um, and trying to make it work and, and, uh, from a distance up close. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of dynamics that go into it. Um, you know, the last piece I did was, you know, the, the knockout 1930. And if you look at it, you know, you'll see how everything is sort of, uh, geared towards the, the fighters in the ring, you know, every, everything yeah. is sort of, 
focus in on them, even though there's a lot of action and things going on. Uh, everything is sort of pointing towards uh, what I want the audience to look at. So, the, the, oh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the composition, I mean, that's really it. It's, yeah. it you, you put a lot of yeah, thought into the composition and you're, you're wanting yeah. to have your audience focus on th- certain things, but you're also including all of these peripheral things that are just fascinating. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm imagining that one person called you up a year later and said, I've been staring at this thing for for so long and i just noticed this one thing and i think that's what's so great about uh artworks is that you know depending on the day your mood you know uh what time you woke up you know whether it's overcast or sunny out you look at things differently don't you yeah um you know every time you go through parts of the caribbean you're going to see something different, right? Yeah. Same yeah. show, you know, but you're going to see your different angle, your, you know, your, your different seat, but, you know, nothing really changes. just your, your angle, your, your and view, your view, you know, your you view of it. Yeah. That, 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 that. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I try to put enough interesting things in those illustrations that, you know, you're going to, you're going to see the, the big picture. And then, there, then there's a lot of little things that are going on, Peripherally, and uh, you, oh, I miss that. You know, there, there's something going on there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I that I that part of it I enjoy. You know, again, I enjoy people having fun looking at my pictures. Yeah, yeah. I, I that's the. There's nothing greater than seeing people react to your artwork. Uh, yeah. You know, because that's really the payoff. I think the payoff is when your, your artwork has an effect on somebody emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're not doing things for yourself. You know, you're doing things for others to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I look at, you know, that I'm, I'm doing something that that's just not for me, but it's, you know, it's how is the audience going to accept this? And what, 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 um, positive, Thing can they take out and a smile? You know, if I yeah. can put a smile on a person's face, you know, I mean, that makes my day. You know, and, I, and I've never seen a person look at a piece of my work, my illustration, and not have a smile on their face or almost a tear in their eyes. Yeah. Sometimes. Because the imagery hits them in a, in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm not talking because the images, you know, it's mostly, you know, black people, right? And, right. You know, emotions of love and hate and um, joy and sadness, those are universal emotions. Sure. And so, so like, you know, Simba losing his dad. I mean, it's like a little kid, I can relate to that. You know, so you forget that it's a drawn picture yeah. and you just go with the flow of the story. And and same with uh, the imagery that I'm doing with my illustrations that, you know, these are human emotions. Every person's face has got an emotion. You know, they're they're smiling, they're happy, they're sad, they're they're this, that, and the other, and people can relate to that, and that's universal. You know, it is, it universal. is, yeah. I want to ask you as we come to the end of our 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 third part interview here, the three parts. Um, what advice would you give to somebody wanting to break into the business today? Oh. Yeah, my advice is to draw draw, draw, and draw some more. 
become a people watcher, observing, you know, how people walk, you know, how people stand, uh, you know, where the, where is the, the balance of the weight, you know, the body, looking at uh, body types, uh, body language. You know, when we were coming in uh, in the training program, Eric would have us looking at Lauren Hardy shorts, uh, Charlie Chaplin shorts, uh, Charles uh, Lloyd, uh, you know, all these, these, uh, silence to where, where acting was done with the body, with the face, you know, and you could tell what was going on by the body language. And so you can tell, you know, if a person is, is uh, happy, sad, they're interested, they're uninterested, their arms are crossed, their, you know, their facial features are, are, are showing their emotions. And so you become a people watcher. Uh, so my advice is to, you know, become a people watcher, uh, draw. Uh, you know, we, you, you got this God given talent, you know, use it, you know, and, and draw, drop, you know, draw pictures, you know, and, and the more you draw, the, the better you'll get. You never get perfect. Cause again, uh, practice does not make you perfect. Practice will only make you better. Mm-hmm. And you want to get better as an artist. You want to get better as a, a literally a storyteller because your pen is going to help you tell your story. You know, look at my quick sketches. You know, he's quick sketching. He's just these lines, but these lines are storytelling lines. You know, they're they're telling you stories. You know, how fast a person is walking, how slow a person is walking. Are they walking with confidence? Are they walking, you know, sort of bent over and sad? And you know, you know, I mean, th- these are emotions, and you're drawing emotions, and that's what you want to be able to capture. And literally, I have decades of sketchbooks. You know, I got sketchbooks going back to 1962 when I was 12 years old. I can attest to this. I can attest to that. You've got to have a bookcase full or multiple bookcases full of sketchbooks because you must go. How many sketchbooks do you go through uh, in a year? You got to go through at least 18, 20, 25 sketchbooks. Um, you know, I, I just don't even count the number. You know, I put one down, pick one up, put, I, put it down, yeah. pick one up. And do I've you got, think you, do you, think you go through? Do you go through one a month? Do you think? Probably a hundred and twenty pager. Been yeah, you know, probably one a month or, or so. Um, yeah. And like I said, you know, I, I can look at decade. I can go back to the eighties and see that there's progress from the eighties to the nineties. Decades of, of progress. You know, I, I can chart sure. my progress because my drawings today do not look like the drawings ten years ago, right? Like Twenty right. years ago. Sure. So I know right. I'm making. I know I'm making progress. You know, yeah. and so I'm 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 continuing to try to practice because quick session to me has been my practice. My practice, you know, it helps me in my illustration work. It also helps me in my animation work. So I just look at my quick sets as practice. And people say, you ought to write a book about that. And I did. I wrote a, you know, I wrote a book about quick sketching. And, you know, there's, I don't think there's another book on quick sketching and where you do a, a drawing in 60 seconds or less. Um, there's drawing, there's books about how to sketch. You know, it's been sure. two, three, four, five years with a cafe sketch and all nine yards. But to do a sketch in 60 seconds or less, and have balanced proportion perspective. You know everything that you're looking for in a good illustration. The same things you're looking for in a good 
piece of animation, you know. So I that's one word, quick cuts, illustration, animation, one big word, because the things I'm looking for in a quick sketch, I'm looking for in my illustration work and also and also looking for it in my animation work. Balance things have to be on balance. Be yeah. Solid drawing. You look at those illustrations, there's solid drawing there. There's silhouette value there. You know, there's proportion there, there's perspective there. Same things that you're looking for in, in animation, same things you're looking for in an illustration. So, you know, it's all one it's all going down the same drain pipe. <laughs> Uh, that's fantastic. That's great advice. Uh, you know, Ron, I have to say, it's been such a pleasure sitting and talking with you over these three uh, weeks of interviews. Um, it, it, it's just I've learned a lot about you uh, that I didn't know, which is always kind of a fun thing for, for Al John and I, when we have a guest on, uh, is the fact that we always learn something new. Uh, and I, I have to say what a pleasure it was, uh, having you on the skull rock podcast. Well, again, yeah, I appreciate it. You're a great interviewer. Uh, you know, I'm glad you and now John, uh, collaborated and say, let's do this thing. Cause you know, you've given You've asked some some questions. Yeah, I've been on other podcasts, you know, and then we sort of you, know, you have the same um, questions that happen that happen or are asked, and so you've uh, covered a lot of things that uh, that are normally aren't asked, and uh, probably a lot of it because we know each other. <laughs> Well, and friends, I, I, right? yeah, I, I know. I think that's the case, though, right? I mean, it it makes yeah, yeah, it easier, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because because again, you you can relate to what I'm talking about. A lot of podcasts, you know, they and not to uh, say they're they're uh, anything wrong with them, but they don't have the insight that you have yeah. and I have, have work in the industry. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate that your well, professionalism got- and again, question that you asked. Well, thank you very much, uh, Ron. And I have to say it, it was an absolute pleasure being able to talk with you and serendipitous that it was Black History Month. But, you know, yeah. to to me, I, I just feel like I was just having another friend on the show, you know, and wow. so uh, it, it's really uh, been an honor to be able to talk with you and really unpack your career over these three weeks. Yeah, they're very in depth, and uh, again, I re- appreciate you giving me the opportunity to sort of uh, take my time and uh, and and respond to to you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> All right, Ron, thank thank you so much. It was great talking with you on the Skull Rock Podcast, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, uh, again, I appreciate it, and um, RonHusband.blogspot.com. You know, if you want to know more. Uh, in depth, but this is, uh, I appreciate that. And we're going to put a link to that in the show notes. Okay. Okay. Great, man. Uh, it's been a blast. I really appreciate uh, again. You taking the time to, um, to unpack me thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Ron. We'll see you soon. Take care. Okay. Take care. Dave. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one. For a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. I like our little fireside chats. You know? (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I do too. You know, I, and I have to tell you, I, I, I just love uh, chatting with, with Ron husband. Uh, he's such a nice guy. And, and I have to tell you after uh, this last interview, um, I connected him with Tina price uh, from CTN wow. and she has the CTN studio. Uh, and they do artist shows and whatnot. And I really want to see Ron husband do a show at the CTN studio of all of his pen and ink work that we talked about, oh, yeah. because it's absolutely beautiful work. And I, and I really think people would enjoy seeing it in a gallery setting. 100%. I think that would be great. So uh, once again, just the wonderful Ron husband, and uh, just a great way to kind of uh, have Black History Month kind of here on our podcast and celebrate it. Uh, I also want to give a big shout out. Uh, I, I meant to do this earlier, uh, but, you know, we are uh, partners with Sorcerer Radio. I've been a member of Sorcerer Radio as a Sorcerer Radio DJ for a long time, Dave. And can you believe Sorcerer Radio is like 22 years old? <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, we just celebrated the the birthday of Sorcerer Radio, and I couldn't be more pleased. So I just wanted to give everybody a shout out. The, they're the longest running fan run, fan streamed uh, internet radio station. Our podcast is featured there. Uh, Dining at Disney's featured there, but it's it's amazing. So I'm just so happy that we're associated with it. We have so many great DJs and podcasts. Uh, you may not know, but uh, Lou Mangello got his start on Sorcerer Radio, and Nathan Rose has got his start on Sorcerer Radio. There's a bunch of really people, but uh, really great people and podcasters that have been part of Sorcerer Radio over the course of 22 years. So, uh, congratulations to them, and uh, listen to our podcast on Sorcerer Radio. It's absolutely amazing. They're on Live awesome. 365, so please check that out. So, that said, if you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere iTunes, Stitcher Radio, of course, Sorcerer Radio. Uh, so please check us out. Um, and we're also available there on the show archive there at anchor.fm. There you can email us, send us uh, any kind of feedback you, uh, you'd you like to uh, email us. You can hit the link there to email us, Dave or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com. And please leave us those five-star reviews. I'll uh, give you a reminder, too, to check out Dining at Disney Podcast. Dave, we're going to have you on uh, this week. Can't wait for that. That'll be great. And, uh, Dave, I'll leave you with the final word. Uh, you know, as always, uh, if you want to read uh, some free articles, go to davidbosser.com. Uh, you can also check out some of my books uh, online at Amazon, at barnesandnobles.com, at uh, Books A Million. Uh, you can also go to theoldmillpress.com. Uh, so check all those out if you want. And uh, next week, I'm going to tease this because next week we've got animator Burt Klein joining us. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so uh, go out, have a fantastic week, and we'll see you back here next Monday right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves 
Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com. <laughs>